Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today on the Monday broadcast. And as you know, on the Monday broadcast, we always kind of give you a rehash as to what happened over the weekend at Hickory Ridge Community Church. I hope that you consider joining us one Sunday. We worship at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And we'd love to have you come and hear about what God is doing. Love to have you worship with us. And we worship in spirit and in truth. Well, by way of introduction today in the broadcast, I wanted to let you know about a missionary endeavor that we have. We are able to support a missions endeavor in Nigeria, of all places. And uh, Nigeria is a great place for the gospel to spread. And as you know, there's a very strong presence of Christianity within Nigeria. But also in Nigeria, there's a lot of persecution. And one of the areas of persecution that is facing the church is they will come in and they will actually interrupt worship services. And so we have a good friend over there, Pastor Friday. And uh, Pastor Friday is an amazing guy. And uh, he has uh, established several churches over there. As a matter of fact, uh, we kind of are the clearinghouse for his ministry. And uh, Time is Short Ministries is what he calls his ministry, realizing that the time is very short before the Lord is going to come again. And so he is like us. He's very zealous to get the gospel out. So if you'd like to have more information about this ministry in Nigeria, give me a call at 757-421-7500, and I'll tell you all about what God is doing in Nigeria. And usually once, sometimes twice a year, Pastor Friday comes and he gives us an update as to what God is doing uh, in that country. And he'll visit several churches in the greater Hampton Roads area. So some of you may know who he is, but if you'd like to support his ministry, you can actually do that through our church website. If you go to hrcc7.org, hrcc7.org, or if you Google in Hickory Ridge Community Church, Chesapeake, Virginia, uh, you can go onto that website and click on the tab to give, and uh, you can actually give directly to his ministry through our website. So I'd encourage you to do that. It's a great opportunity to see the gospel being advanced, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. Well, on our Sunday morning services for the next probably six to seven months, we're going to be going through the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, this is the third message on the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 25 today. And uh, as we go through this, we're going, we're going to go through it verse by verse and uh, go through the entire book of Romans. Now, on the broadcast, you will go along with us on Mondays and Tuesdays, so be sure to join us on the broadcast Monday and Tuesday as we go through uh, this wonderful epistle written by the Apostle Paul uh, as he was in Corinth, and uh, it's a great letter. It's a powerful letter. Uh, Some people call Romans the Mount Everest of theology. Uh, It's a book that in some parts is very difficult to understand. As a matter of fact, what we're looking at today It's not that it's so difficult to understand it, but it seems kind of harsh as we look at Romans chapter one and going into chapter number two. And uh, so today's message is coming from verses 16 to 25 in Romans chapter one. And uh, it's a difficult part to kind of navigate through because it appears on one hand uh, that the gospel is not sufficient to do something, but on the other hand, you wonder why anybody would reject the gospel. So today is a very important question that we're going to be asking. Here's the question that we're going to be asking through the broadcast. Why should I trust the gospel? Why should I trust the gospel? We want to look at four subjects relating to this subject of why I should trust the gospel. 
And uh, Paul addresses this in this epistle. And first of all, we're going to look at the subject of the power of the gospel. In other words, what can the gospel do? Number two, we're going to look at today uh, and into tomorrow in the broadcast is the proof of God's existence. If the gospel is God-driven, it's God's idea, God's provision, what is the proof that God actually exists? And then we're going to look at the subject of the process of rejecting the gospel. You know, there's a process to receiving the gospel, but there is also a process that we go through when we decide, I don't want the gospel, I reject the gospel. And then we're going to conclude our time, and this will be on tomorrow's broadcast, talking about the problem of worshiping creation. So let's dive on in today. And uh, but before we do, uh, we begin this epistle with verse number 16. Paul is saying this, and this is kind of the theme of the whole book of Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, For the gospel is the righteousness of God being revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous live by faith. So let's begin looking at this passage of scripture, and Paul starts by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, as I read that, I got thinking about the life of the Apostle Paul. I got thinking about his life even after he became a follower of Christ. If you're interested in his conversion experience, it's found in Acts chapter 9. He is on the road to Damascus. And as he's traveling on this road to Damascus to actually persecute Christians, he has this encounter with God. And as a result of that encounter with God and God saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He becomes a follower of Christ. His life is radically changed. So he personally experienced the power of the gospel. Not only did he have a a life that was going in a different direction, but he had a mind that was changed. He had a heart that was changed. And he goes on and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. But Paul didn't have an easy time once he became a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, that's why I want to question, why could he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? When he looks at his life as he's writing, he'd been through a whole lot. Let me just share a few of the things that Paul had been through. And, uh, and this is a good passage of scripture. I want you to think about this passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 33. Now, uh, as you think about this passage, maybe you're kind of feeling sorry for yourself. Now, not too long ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. And, uh, you know, sometimes, Pastor, we whine and complain a lot. And, uh, and this guy and I, we started whining and complaining about how hard we have it and how difficult ministry is and how people don't serve the Lord the way they used to serve the Lord. And it seems like there's no more fear of God. Well, we're going back and forth. And then in the middle of that conversation, I says, you know, uh, maybe we better think about this a little differently, right? Think about what the Apostle Paul went through. And I reference 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 33. And so if you're feeling, woe is me today, if you're feeling like I've got a whine, uh, if you're feeling like my life is terrible, check what the apostle Paul went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, beginning at verse number three, 23, are they servants? And talk about those who come against them. He says, I am the better one. I am... Lacking, I am talking like a madman. They think I'm crazy is what he's saying. 
And he says, I have far greater labors. In other words, Paul says, I work harder than they do. I have far more imprisonments. I've been incarcerated a whole lot more than they have. He says, I've had these countless beatings. He says, I've been near death several times. As a matter of fact, this is how he chronicles it. This is verse number 24. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Do you get that? He says, I've been beat 39 times with a cat of nine tails on five separate occasions. He goes on. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night at the sea, I was left adrift on frequent journeys in dangers from the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Paul had people that he loved that came up against him. Danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at the sea, dangers from the false brethren, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in a thirst, often going without food, cold and exposed, and apart from all other things. He says, on top of all that, I've got the daily pressure of all of the churches. And he says, it causes me anxiety. He says, who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? Paul is looking at his life. He says, okay, here's what I've been up against. But then verse number 30, he says, if I must boast, however, this is what I'm going to boast on. He says, I'm going to boast on my weaknesses. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is blessed forever. He knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artaxerxes was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down on the basket through a window in the, fall, in the wall, and I escaped his hands. So here Paul says, I'm weak. And, and a matter of fact, I got so weak at one point when the king was coming after me, I got, had to get my brothers to help me out, and my brothers put me in a basket and load me down the wall. Now I want you to know today, if you're thinking there's no power in the gospel, I want you to know that Paul is a living example of the power of the gospel. Listen, what he went through, most of us would have quit a long time ago. Most of us would have thrown in the towel and says, this is just not worth it. But not the apostle Paul. It seemed like the more pressure that was put on him, the more that pressure within him exerted itself. Listen, I want you to know you can trust the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to bring about salvation. Now, as you look at how Paul begins this epistle, on the outset, we may wonder why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, really, this is a figure of speech. We're through the underestimate. We actually make an affirmative expression by the negative of the contrary. For example, I went to the church softball game a few weeks ago and I watched our team play. We've got some really good softball players and we've got some not so good softball players. And so I always say that are not so good softball players. Now, listen, it's not about winning or losing. It's all about a good time of fellowship out here. We're enjoying each other's company and uh, we're out to have a good testimony uh, for the other team. And uh, it's all about the fellowship. But, you know, we do have a few on our team that are very good. And as a matter of fact, I was talking to one of our players the other night at the end of the game, and I said to this player who's on our church softball team, I said, you're not a bad athlete. And he knew exactly what I was saying. When I say you're not a bad athlete, he knows that I mean he's a pretty good athlete. As we think about this, and you go out on a date with your wife, right? Now, if you go out on a date on your wife, and now you say to your wife, now, honey, you're not a bad-looking woman. She knows that you're thinking that she is beautiful. 
And so that's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. But why does he express it this way? As you look at what he was facing going to first century Rome, uh, giving this letter to this group of people that he's never met in person, he understood what was going on. He understood that the Roman government was responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. So he's addressing these people who are living in a city where the Roman Empire is centered, and they are the ones that are responsible for taking the life of Christ. He also knew something else about these Romans. These Romans, although they lived a life of immorality, they were a well-educated group of people. They remind me very much of the culture in which we are living today. It's amazing that we can be so smart on some things, but so ignorant on other things. So Paul is addressing a very sophisticated group of people that were well-versed in history. Uh, They were well-educated. They had figured out some of the uh, great answers to the problems within their culture. But in spite of all that, they had some massive problems. You know, the Roman Empire had a massive problem with slavery. You know, we have a massive problem with slavery in our country right now. It is the sex trafficking slavery. It is unbelievable how much of an industry that is and how wicked that is, that is in our culture today. The Romans struggled with greed and with lust and with violence, but the people of Rome would not listen. So how is the power of God for salvation available to everyone who believes? The power of God is available, but it is only available to those who have it revealed to them by faith. What activates the power of the gospel in our lives is this matter of faith. We must be careful that we understand exactly what saving faith is. You know, even the faith to be saved is a gift from God. This faith is not a new idea that Paul has come up with. Paul is not saying, okay, Old Testament believers were saved differently than New Testament believers. No, we are all saved by faith. As a matter of fact, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 4, it says, as it is written, the righteous man lives by faith. Romans 1.17 says that it is by faith from the first to the last We could say from the beginning to the end, God is the provider of the gospel, and he even gives us the faith to believe the truth of the gospel. So when we look at the power of the gospel, we must understand that lives cannot be changed by the gospel if the gospel is weak. You see, I need grace that is greater than my sin. I don't need grace that is equivalent to my sin. I don't need grace that is found within me. I need grace that is beyond my ability to produce in and of myself. That is the power of the gospel. It is available to everyone. It is available to all who believe. So if you're having a hard time really processing or believing in the gospel, I would encourage you to ask the good Lord to give you the faith to believe. Because when it comes to this matter of believing, there is an element of trust, There's this element of believing in something that we cannot see, but we can experience it. It's kind of like the wind in the air. You can't see wind blowing across the horizon, but you can see the wind's effect on the trees. You can see the wind's effect on a building that gets knocked over by a hurricane. You can see the effects of wind, even though you can't see the wind itself. The same is true with the gospel. You can see the effects of the gospel upon a person's life. I know many people who were lost, but now they're found. I know many people whose lives were a wreck until Christ came in. 
I've seen the gospel bring healing to marriages. I've seen the gospel set those who are addicted free. You know, the gospel has done a mighty work in my life. I want you to know that the gospel is not just a momentary decision. It's not something that's, okay, I'm going to accept Christ today, and then it's a one and done. No, the gospel is something that continues to be processed in your life, continues to bring about salvation, continues to grow you to be more like Christ. So what's the biggest problem you face today? Think about the biggest problem you're facing right now. Is it a financial issue? Is it a a spiritual issue? Is it an emotional issue? Hey, the gospel can take care of that. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not only bringing salvation to your soul, but bringing salvation and redemption to the problems that you are facing. Listen, life is filled with problems. You know, as you think about how life is very brief and life is very uncertain, life is also filled with a whole lot of problems. It is the gospel that will change your life. There's something else that we must remember about the gospel and the fact that lives cannot be changed by the gospel without faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. The righteous are made alive when they believe the gospel. So we've covered a whole lot already in the broadcast today talking about the power of the gospel. You know, one of the ministries that I have a a strong affinity for is prison ministry. I am now going back into Indian Creek Correctional Center, and uh, I'm looking forward to ministering to the guys, and uh, probably several weeks before we can have regular religious programming, but I had the opportunity now to go in about three times a week, and uh, just go in there and talk to the guys, share the gospel with the guys, pray with the guys, and uh, as I went yesterday, it amazed me how many of the staff said to me, because I hadn't been in there for a a year and a half uh, because of COVID. I can't believe how many of the staff says, Chaplain, we really need you here. We need the gospel presence in here. Now, I'm not the gospel, but I know what they were saying. Uh, They were saying, these guys need some Jesus in their lives. And you know what? Not only the guys who are incarcerated need some Jesus in their lives. Ah, the staff needs it as well. And those of you who are listening to me today, uh, you need it as well. You see, God created us with this void in our lives that nothing can quite fill that void. It's a God-shaped void, says Vance Havner. It's a void that only Christ can fill. That is the power of the gospel that is able to bring about salvation. And that's the gospel that I'm talking to you today about. That's the gospel that Paul was talking about. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible talks about the gospel. That's the whole message of the Word of God. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God talks about the power of the gospel. Well, Paul now transitions as he gets down to verse number 18. Verses 16 and 17, he was talking about the power of the gospel. Verses 18 to 20, he talks about the proof of God's existence. 18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, as I look at this, phrase, suppress the truth by their wickedness, I think we have some insight as to why religious liberties are under attack today in the United States, because they want to suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, those who are rejecting the gospel don't want the gospel to be proclaimed. They want to suppress the truth of the gospel, and they try to suppress it by their wickedness, and one of the wicked things that they do is try to prohibit the gospel from being proclaimed. Paul continues on. Since what may be known about God 
is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So there's two things that Paul gives us as proofs to God's existence. The first is the conscience. He says that what can be known about God is plain to them. God makes it plain to them. Now, how does he do this? You know, our conscience is that part of us that says, this is right and this is wrong. Now, we can debate all day long various things that are right, various things that are wrong. But nobody believes there is no such thing as right and wrong. We may disagree about what is right and what is wrong, but everybody believes there are certain things that are right, there are certain things that are wrong. Now, where in the world did that come from? That came from a conscience that God gave us. You know, it doesn't matter what culture you live in. If you would ask this question, is it right or wrong as a lady is trying to cross the street? Is it right to help her across the street safely? Or is it right to push her into traffic? No culture will say it's right to push her into the traffic. Now, whether or not you would do that or not is a wholly different thing. But no culture would say that is the right thing to do, to push somebody who cannot defend themselves right into oncoming traffic. We would say that is wrong. Why do we say that is wrong? Because God has given us a conscience. You know, you think about the conscience. Uh, Max Lucado in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells how the United States government in 1811 began collecting and storing letters like the following letter written by a GI on February the 6th, 1974. This is what the letter says. I am sending $10 for blankets that I stole while in World War II. My mind could not rest. Sorry, I'm late. It was signed in XGI, and then there was a postscript to this letter. He says, the reason I'm sending all this money into you is because I want to be ready to meet with God. You know, the U.S. government not only collects and stores these letters, but the Treasury Department has established a fund, and it's actually labeled the Conscience Fund. Since its inception, this fund has grown to almost $7 million. In other words, if you feel bad about money that you owe to the Internal Revenue Service, you can anonymously send that money in, and they're going to put it into this Conscience Fund where your conscience was bothering you, so you sent some money in to try to ease your conscience. Well, God has given us a conscience that dictates what's right and wrong, but God has also given us creation. God's beautiful creation convinces me that there is a creator. You know, whenever you see something that has been created, you know that there is a creator. Now, one of the reasons that we look at this is because I am accountable to somebody if they have created me. If I am not created by anybody, I'm not responsible to anybody. Now, to show how God has created us in the intent that he's put into all of his creation, not just us as humans, but all of his creation. I think about the sparrow. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head, they're all numbered. Jesus says, fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. So let's think about birds for just a moment. God has his eye on the sparrow, and he created it very special and very unique. 
Did you know that birds are covered with feathers? Yeah, you knew that. That's nothing new. But did you know that every feather on a bird is different? Each feather has a specialized function. It has a special length. It has a unique shape. And the structure that is designed is to match the function in which it is positioned. For example, feathers around the head are all quite specialized with tiny feathers around the eyes. These tinier feathers keep dust out of the bird's eyes. Feathers are modified around the bill of a bird, for example, and it has these uh, little hooks on them so that the bird tries to catch a worm or something. These little hooks grab that little worm so the worm doesn't escape. You see, God went through a lot of work making each feather unique, fitting a particular function. All birds have approximately 2,000 feathers, but every feather is designed by God with a purpose in mind. You know, with such a display of high purpose of a single bird feather, is there any doubt that God has a purpose in mind for His people? Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not alone in believing that God has given us a conscience. It's amazing that all of creation reveals Himself to us. So if you don't know Christ today, I pray that today will be your day of salvation. I pray that that conscience mind of yours will be awakened and you will see your need for the gospel. You know, the gospel is a message of good news. The good news is this. Jesus loves you. He died on that cross for you. He took all of the penalty of the sins of the world and he placed them upon himself. He offered forgiveness because he sacrificed himself for you. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Well, listen, I want to help you. And if I can help you in your journey, feel free to give me a call, 757-421-7500. And I'll be happy to pray with you and tell you more about how God can bless your life. Thank you so much for listening today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.